Hello and welcome to the Cigar Cast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We are recording live from Mission Cigar and Social here in Spring Hill, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Devin. I'm joined as I am every week by Mr. Shane Reeves. You know, I feel bad that the guy that I wanted to read the AI article from last week left before I got a chance to get up there and make him read that aloud to everyone. You'll have to make that happen. Yes, but having Derek read it gave me so much joy. <laughs> some, some things just make me happy in life. Right. So, um, this week, interesting cigar this week. So, we're, we're gang taping. And I'll, I, I, I'm going to break yeah. the fourth wall. We're gang taping this week. We did two because I'm going to be on a trip and you're going to be on a trip. We've done two in a row. So we've both still got a little cigar left from the front of the pod, from the previous podcast. And this seemed like the perfect opportunity, being as we'll probably smoke one after we're done just to sit around together and everything. This seemed like the perfect time to pull out the Papa's Fritas. The thing I love about the Papa's Fritas is that for a small profile cigar, it has a lot of flavor. It does a lot of things right. It almost never draws too tight or too loose. And it's a good 30-minute smoke. Much like the cigar I smoked last week, the El Septimo, there's a, there's a lot of myth and lore laid in around the Papa's Fritas. Some say, you know, it's called Papa's Fritas because it was made for Gary for Jonathan Drew's father. Some say he had a hand in it. Some say he didn't. If you know Gary, you probably know he didn't. And all Gary probably did. But now, he probably had a great, great time. What's the what's the tie-in to... The the reason it's called Papa's Fritas is because it's the cigar that Gary, they made for Gary to smoke. Gotcha. I guess I don't understand French fries and Gary. I don't understand I, I don't that. either. Okay. Um, but well, I, I, I'm leaning more toward the the English of Papa that I am the French fry. Well, but Papa's Fritas is fried potatoes. So also, the um, it's said that this is a medium filler cigar, and it's made from Liga remnants. Yeah. And that this is how they get rid of the Liga remnants. I don't know that that's 100% true. I'm sure there's some component of it that's true. Probably is, but anyway, it's an excellent cigar, and it's an excellent utilitarian cigar. You know, I bought a box of them. Just because they're so handy to have in my case. Yeah. If I'm yard selling and just want to have that quick hit, something that I'm just smoking while I'm finishing a subdivision, waiting on Glenda, yeah. whatever I'm doing, it's nice to have that. If it's the end of the night and it's like 7.30 and you're like, I don't really want to go home, but I don't want to be here till 9, so I don't want to start another cigar. Yeah. It's perfect for that. It's just a great utilitarian cigar, great size. It's about a 5 by, I'd say, 42. Something like that. Yeah, it's. I would even go so far as almost say 30. Maybe. Yeah. But a lot of flavor, a lot of, lot of feel to it. And they're six ninety five each. Yeah. It's, it's hard to beat a cigar that good for that. Yeah. Again, it's not going to take you long to smoke it, but it's uh, it, it's phenomenal for the for the price. Well, and also, a, I know you hate this phrase, a life hack. If you're at a Drew Estate event and you happen to be there and they have a really cool stack of swag... And they said, well, if you buy a box, we'll give you this, 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 and this, and this. About 25 Papa's Fritas. And it counts. Be, yeah, be in and out of here for less than 200 bucks and get all the swag. Yeah, no, that's a... <laughs> just, just a... just a quick little life hack for everybody. I 
cow? Is there an auction going on? There here? must be. It's gotten a little loud. I, you know, so it's funny. I've actually gone and I've started listening to the show again. Excellent. And one thing I've noticed, and I'm trying to correct it a little bit here this week. I know we've got our headphones turned up, but it, it at times it does get a little loud. I think we need to, you know, that's always been part of the charm of the show for me is the fact that you can tell we're, we're in a cigar lounge and there's activity going around, but I think we might need to, I'll, I'll, I've got to keep working with the gain on the mics to limit some of that. Well, it also depends on when we well, yeah. record the podcast, what groups are in here and how loud, like. My wife has a voice that really carries and all. She can be in the front of the shop, and I can be in the bathroom with the door locked in the back of the shop and hear her. See, that's funny, because I, granted, I don't hear high frequencies, and, and her voice just hits where I, I, she can be standing right in front of me, and I can't hear her. Oh, man, she... She, but and it also may be that we've been married for yeah. so long. I'm tuned into that voice when she talks. I try to listen. So from Half Wheel, STG reports quarter one 2023 results warns of U.S. cigar slowdown. See, this is so interesting to me, and I, I I brought it up when we were doing show prep. This is this is part of the problem I have with publicly traded companies because they can't just say, "Here's what money we made. Here's what's doing. Here's what's happening." Okay, fine. No, it has to be a story, right? You have to build in the press release, and you have to do all that. And the reason I say that is, okay, so um, revenue, you know, 1.3% increase compared to Q1 last year, uh, but profit was down. So their free cash flow is actually in, in the red right now, which is they just bought Alec Bradley. Of course it is. You know, and then so we're we're talking. You know, if we look, the issue, the article from Halfwheel actually talks, it like shows their earnings going all the way back to Q3 of 2020. And if you look at Q1 of 21, they also had a slowdown in net sales and a drastic reduction of their free cash flow. That was the same time that they released Forged. So it's ob- just say that. Just say, yeah, right. we bought a cigar company this year, it, you know, this quarter. Of course our earnings are down. But to then go and say, well, the U.S., it's slowing, you know, cigar market in the U.S. is slowing down. I don't, that just, you, either either you don't understand your own data or you think, or you don't expect us to. And I'm far more offended if it's the second. Yeah, this is an example of somebody. And who wrote this article? Did Charlie? Charlie wrote this article. Charlie's smarter than this. Um, this is an example of somebody trying to act like it's a bigger deal than it is. Well, I think he's just going off the press release. And he's going based off of what SGG, STG told them. Um, but, yeah, I don't think... You know, and it, it's funny, about two or three weeks ago, we actually talked about, you know... A lot of these companies moving into the South Asian markets and China and all the and I even brought up the question, is this going to have a negative impact on the US market share? I think there's possibility, but I don't think that STG having a slow Q1 is indicative of that. No, I don't either, and I especially don't like isolating one company and saying, Oh, because they are, that means everyone is. And I'll, no, they bought Alec Bradley. They spent a lot of cash. They spent 71 and some change million on Alec Bradley. Yeah. They've had to reorganize how that's going to fit into their portfolio. 
Um, I don't have the facts on this, but I can tell you in this shop, Forge has greatly underperformed what you thought they would have. Well, and it's not only that so much as this is an industry that thrives on trends. You know, whether it's big ring gauge or dark oily Maduros versus, you know, Connecticut's and things ebb and flow. And if you're, A, your brands are going to have high points and low points. You know, Cohiba's going to get hot and then it's going to die. Illusione is going to get hot and then it's going to cool off. Like Caldwell, anybody, whether it's part of a, a bigger profile like some of Forge General that's under the STG umbrella or a boutique. So uh, I agree with you. I don't think you can look at any one company and say, oh, because their sales are slowing down, especially as we're seeing so many really great boutiques hit the market and stay here. And that's what's drawing a lot of the business away from these big players. Yeah, and that's uh, as the clientele is moving more that way. You know, the whole buy local thing has kind of transcended all of society. Yeah. You know, I was was in... um, uh, Publix the other day, and I was picking up some fillets, and the price on their fillets was in a, within a dollar a pound of what I can go to my butcher and buy from. Right. So I did put them back down, and I drove up the road to the butcher and picked up my fillets there because mm-hmm. I'd much rather pay him a dollar a pound more. I one, I know it's going to be a superior cut of steak, and two, I am supporting the local guy. Right. And I'm in there, and a guy that I drew a house for comes in, and we start chatting for a minute. And I, and I said, well, you know, I, there, there would have been a dollar here of what they charge at Publix. And he immediately launches into a whole rhetoric of, oh, you should be buying all your meat here. You should be. But no. Yeah. I'm not going to buy every stick of meat from here. Right. <laughs> There's times that I don't need an expensive steak. There's times that I don't need a giant margarita. There's t- you right. If if I'm if I'm going to be buying meat for a big event, like th- at the other shop that I go to at Big Boys, they're putting a patio out front, and they were today. So I didn't get an opportunity to contribute financially to the project because it was a crowdsourced, crowdfunded project, and I wasn't able because we were recording the show. I wasn't there today to actually help them put it together. So I wanted to contribute some way. So I made up a whole bunch of sausage biscuits. Make biscuits from scratch, my father's recipe, you know, and I bundled them up in some aluminum foil, took them out there. And I, you know, like, there's, I'm not gonna buy grade A choice select, I can never remember prime, whatever. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what all the grades are. Yeah, but I'm not, that's not, you know, it, it's all about, it's, it's about the act more than it is the thing. But if you're, you know, so if you're making tenderloin sandwiches to bring up here, you're not going to your butcher to buy the finest cut of meat when right. it's really just about the, the act of providing. Yeah, the, it's, it's smoking the cigar when you're sitting on the beach in Mexico. You don't have to smoke your best cigar there. Any cigar sitting there on the beach right. is going to be good. You know, um, well, right after we go to the show, a couple of weeks after we go to the, sh- we get back from the show, I'm going to Alaska. Well, I can't really take show cigars with me to Alaska to try because I'm going to be trying them in Alaska, looking at bald eagles and dodging grizzly bears and doing all the great things in life. So I'm, there's You're no, going to be jaded in a positive way by the yeah, experience. Yeah, there's no way that I can sit there and unbiasedly, you know, the most unbiased I ever am when I review a cigar is sitting right here with you on this podcast. Yeah. Because I respect you enough 
that I acknowledge when you're reining me in. When you're calming me down and you're reining me in, and I respect. I thought that you said that. reining men. I was like, wait, what? Reining me in. <laughs> but way to way to ruin a great heartfelt compliment, Trey. What are, what are you, my I wife? <laughs> Well, a really heartfelt compliment yeah, well. to a dear friend, and he just totally, totally just craps ruined. all over it. Oh, just awful. But anyway, so everybody out there, one thing you know when you're listening to this podcast, I'm probably giving you this is probably the most honest version of cigar reviews. It's true that you ever that you ever received from me. Yeah, because this is the this is the place to do it and do it right. And because as much as we enjoy this, this is work. Like when you and I sit down to record the podcast, we've got our game face on. Most weeks, we try really hard to make that, and I hope it comes through. But so I'm not sitting here caught up in the revelry of you know the conversation we're having. And it's as much as I love the shop, this isn't a elevate your experience kind of place where I'm going to be tainted by that. So yeah, I agree with you. I think this yeah, is about not, as true as it gets. We're not snooty around here. Yeah. So from Half Wheel, the H. Upman 1844 Special Edition Barbier Bellicoso. Is that how I pronounce that, Barbier? I would assume so. It's a Barber Pole cigar, folks. Um, so this cigar... Oh, it's German, Barbier. Barbier, okay. So this cigar walked in here a couple of weeks ago, and I got my hands on one and was smoking it to evaluate it from the shop. Um, didn't care for it. Yeah, see, I was afraid you were going to say that because I really like the H. Upman 1844 line, and I will have it, but I was recently smoking the... Uh, Romeo and Juliet Reserva Real Barber Pole because I really like the Reserva Real line and I hadn't had one in a while and I'm a sucker for a barber pole and I bring that up because it's also an Altitus product so it's it's probably going to be kind of similar and I was just really overwhelmed but underwhelmed by it yeah I had a Monte Cristo barber pole Altitus all yeah. of a sudden decided to go into the barber pole business big time and I had their um, barber pole of the of the uh, Monte Cristo. Again, unimpressive. Definitely not better than the regular one. So just, um, folks, reel it back on the barber pole. One, have you ever tasted the change? In, in that, and you'll be honest about this. Have you ever tasted the change in wrapper while smoking a barber pole? Well, it's not so much the change in wrapper because the way it's rolled, it's consistent. It's just half of one, half of the other. And I, I do notice a difference when smoking a barber pole, which, like, so in this case, it's a Connecticut and a Sumatra. So those are the two, those are the two leaves used in the wrapper. And they have very different flavor profiles. And I think, yeah, I think that is, I think that's discernible if you're familiar enough with the the same cigar that just has one of those leaves. It's got to be two wrappers that are in stark contrast to one another. See, I, I disagree. I think... I think you want paprika and cayenne pepper. I don't think you want Italian seasoning and cayenne pepper, to draw it back to, like, cooking as an example. But I like um, the um, Filthy Hooligan, Alec Bradley. Yeah. It's a barber pole, and it's candela, and I want to say it's just a Honduran wrapper or something like that. I don't know what the other wrapper is. Yeah, I I don't know off the top of my head. We just bragged about how much show prep we do. (laughs) But we didn't know we were getting into yeah, we the. Didn't, we didn't know this is where the weeds our, of yeah our muse was going to take us. Um, but I like 
candela used in a barber pole. See, I've actually, I've still never tried that. And I know because I don't like candela at all. And I've tried. And, but you've, you've told me about that before and I need to give it a shot because I, I don't think I can and truly say I don't like candela if I haven't tried it in, in that unique of an offering. But Well, there's a lot more bad candela out there than there is good candela. Yeah. That's, that's the thing you have to remember whenever you look at candela. But speaking of two great tastes that taste great together. I was wondering how that was going to transition. I like that. Very well done. So drive through Coffee Stand and Cigar Lounge plans to go before City Planning Commission Thursday. This is from Kenosha News. They're on your side. Thank you. And they are, um, so Wisconsin. Now, I pulled this article because at first I thought it was a drive through coffee and cigar lounge. No, it's two separate businesses that are each independently going. So first, I've got to stop you for just a second. So let's, if there was a drive through coffee and cigar shop. Yeah. How hard would that be on the barista slash tobacconist? I'd like a Sumatra blend. Um, which uh, to your drink cigar or, or cigar? <laughs> your yeah. which, which one would you like? Right. <laughs> well, or you say, I want a mocha, and you end up getting a tabak. <laughs> no, no, no. To drink. Um, yeah, it would be. But the reason this, caught, this piqued my interest was because I've talked about this. You know, you and I have had endless conversations about owning a cigar shop one day. And I think you've kind of, the bloom is somewhat off the rose for you at this point with the amount of work that you see really goes into it, unless it's your only and full-time gig. This is, this, is my, this is my lottery plan. You know, I win the lottery tomorrow, I quit my job, and I even know where I would build it. But I've always thought, you know, just about every cigar shop in the country offers coffee. Usually, it's Keurig. Right. Okay, or it, if not... Here, here it, it's Folgers. Yeah, exactly. So it's never... But I've never met a cigar smoker that wasn't somewhat... Didn't have somewhat of a refined coffee palate as well. I think you're the exception to that. Although you appreciate a good coffee, even though you just don't drink a lot of it. Yeah, it's, it's like alcohol. I appreciate good alcohol, even though I'm not a big drinker. Right. And so I think it would go if you had a proper coffee shop and it doesn't have to be the full starbucks menu with all the milkshakes and all the things but just a proper espresso machine that you could make you know the the standard 12 drinks and good drip coffee on i think it would go really well together yeah i've always thought that i would like to have a mobile cigar lounge yeah give me a big 24 foot trailer and pull up to a golf tournament, set the chairs out, and have people walk into the trailer, and there's the cigars on the wall. And up front, they can pick up a cup of coffee, and I'd even buy one of those little mini donut machines Yeah, that crank out those little mini donuts. And, okay, get you a sack of donuts, get you a cigar, get you a cup of coffee. You can sit here all day. See, I think that would be great. I think the, the combo business... Is and, and I wonder how much of this is because smoking in general is so vilified that it, you have a really hard time getting past the planning commission. Because, okay, we're going to be a, a smoking establishment, so here are the rules. We're also going to be, you know, have to follow restaurant rules. You know, so now there's this other, and does it become just cost prohibitive? Is that why we don't see it? Well, also, if you, if you had my mobile lounge, 
whatever county you went to has a different set of rules. Right. And so I actually knew a woman when I lived in Atlanta who had, it was an, it was a 24 foot Airstream, I think she had converted to a lounge. We've even talked about someone else who did that on the podcast about a year ago and in Georgia. So you'll notice if you spend any time down there, you very rarely see people with multiple locations. Here in Tennessee, you see it quite a bit, where multiple locations, because your tobacco license from your primary store extends to all of your stores. Texas is the same way. In Georgia, it doesn't. You have to have a separate tobacco license for every address, which means if you have a mobile cigar shop, you then have to plan where you're going to be with enough forethought to be able to pull a license from the county or the state, whichever the case may be, to be at that cigar turn, at that golf tournament, at that grand opening, at that steeplechase event, whatever it is, and I think that's a big barrier for a lot of folks too. Yeah, and that's one of the things that always impresses upon me at the show is the show really benefits the guy that has three locations, yeah, or four locations, because he can hammer in the deals. Right. He can really, because this shop, if they offer us a 10% discount for ordering at the show, 10% on, you know, 10 boxes, not that that significant. But if we had... 100 boxes. Right. Three stores, four stores, and we're extending that discount across the portfolio of those stores, we're saving big money. Yeah, exactly. You know, that that's a, a big incentive. But I, I do think that we're going to see the time come when you do have the cigar lounge. Now, here's my question. Would, if you had a cigar lounge with a drive through coffee bar and somebody swung through and just grabbed a, pack, a cup of coffee of a styrofoam cup that had been sitting in the cigar lounge, would the cup have absorbed any of the cigar? See, that's one of the things that I've, I've my wife and I have talked about this quite a bit. Um, and that's one of the things that I think about is, you know, do you alienate some of the... Because where I want to put this in, in Nashville is right off the interstate. And there is no... There's no Starbucks or any other real coffee shop on that exit. But also, once you get out of town, there's no 24-hour coffee place. And... I can't tell you the number of times I've been driving through the night or even at like nine o'clock and I know I've got two hours to go. I need some coffee or whatever. And there's nothing open. So if you keep hours like a cigar shop open to 11 or 12 on the weekends, especially, you know, do you get the, the net benefit of, of being the only one open? But yeah, how much do you alienate from the fact that even if they just hit the drive through window, right. are they going to notice? So your, your ventilation has to be on point. Yeah, you almost have to isolate the drive-through booth, right, to with its own ventilation system, so that they don't open the door and a bellow of smoke roll into their car right. and Karen throws a fit. Yeah, exactly. Her, you know, all of her soccer kids are getting because it doesn't matter how much signage you put up, like cigar shop primarily and coffee shop, like. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm just um, I'm just thinking Stogie's Brew in, in sinkers be what I would name my truck. So we're going to step away real quick. When we come back, it's time. It's time we add, we attack the debate as old as time. Pipe tobacco versus premium cigars, which is best. All right. We'll be back with that more after this.
Welcome back to the Cigar Cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane, sitting across from the man that would have passed that DUI check, except for the officer wanting him to fold a fitted sheet, Mr. Trayden. You know what? I can do that. You think you can make that happen? I do it every week. <laughs> we, f- we fold our sheets in my house, Shane. I, I, I wad mine up. And the fitted sheet gets wadded up. And all. But the thing is, you can make a perfect football out of a fitted sheet. You wad it up and then lift the lip over the edge. And just seal it, seal in the freshness. To me, that's just as good as folding. No, there is... I mean, it's very difficult to do by yourself. Sober. <laughs> it, 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 either way. No, it's very... But there is an art to it, and it can be done. So... I just seen that joke and had to call that out. So let's let's attack. Let's attack the big topic. This is from Cigar Life Guy, who does a really good job. I don't know if enough people give Cigar Life Guy credit. We talked about him a year or two ago. He's the insurance salesman that sells cigar smokers insurance. Oh, yeah. And he has his own website, Cigar Life Guy. Pipe tobacco versus premium cigars, which is best? So at first blush to this article... We've talked about pipes before. Um, they had pipe night here the other night, and I stayed home because I'm just not that interested in pipes. Right. And what is your thoughts if you're comparing pipes and cigars while I light my cigar? Pipes are not really worth the effort to me. You know, with a cigar, I clip it. There's a certain amount of proficiency involved, but really not that much in the grand scheme of things. I like the cigar. Again, not a whole lot of proficiency involved, although some. And then that's it. And I get to enjoy it for an hour. The pipe, you can... If, if, if you let the tobacco get too dry or too wet, that causes problems. Which is the same for cigars, but it's in a different way. And then how you pack the bowl. How often you tamp it down, how you light it, how often you light it, how often you draw it. All of those things can, basically, if you get one of those things wrong, you derail the entirety of the experience. It's just a lot of work and a lot of effort. So on one hand, to be, and he speaks of this in this article, on one hand, to be fair to pipe smoking, part of the joy of cigar smoking is the ritual. The ritual of cutting your cigar, of lighting your cigar, of those first few puffs, of everything like that. And pipe amplifies that part of the ritual. It it really does. If you you enjoy the the ritualistic part of it, for sure, you get a lot more of that with the pipe. And And I do enjoy that part of the cigar, but the pipe is just, I feel like you spend more time fiddling with it than you do actually smoking it. I, I agree. Now, I have seen guys that are master pipe guys who, you know, have smoked the 10,000 bowls and can put it in there and smoke it real slow for longer than I can smoke a cigar. Yeah, and, and I know that I could develop that. You know, I know that I could eventually get to a point where I was proficient enough with the skills required and involved that it would... You know, that, that I would overcome that. It just, it takes so much time. And I just don't, when I want, when I get the opportunity to sit down and smoke, I don't want to work at it. Right. I don't want to have to prep for it. Yeah. When I'm ready for a cigar, I'm ready for a cigar. I'm ready to sit down, 
cut it, light it, and begin listening to Bigfoot podcasts and playing poker. You know, my brother-in-law is a, has become a a big pipe guy, and you know, he went on the camping trip with us, and he brought four pipes with him because you're supposed to let them sit for I think it's like thirty hours or something like that between smoking. So if you're going to smoke it twice a day, then you have to have five pipes in rotation. Because you're gonna, you have to let this one sit. Then you have your second pipe for the day. You've got to let it sit before you have the next one, which you have to let it sit. Now you can smoke the first one after you've smoked the third, and you have to constantly. And it's just Did that that's advi- a lot of baggage to bring with you on a camping trip. Did that advice come from the pipe manufacturers of America? <laughs> no, he he's the one that that lives right down the road here, and I I think he got that from Briarworks and just from some of the general. Um, yeah, for the general uh, uh, what's guys the word who profit for? from you buying multiple pipes. No. <laughs> I mean, because the thing is, you can wear out a pipe. Like, sure. you, you, you're not going to buy a pipe today, smoke it every day, and it lasts you for the rest of your life. Eventually, you'll wear it out. And right. so, you can wear out anything that's not self lubricating. Right. And so, the the idea is that it lasts longer if you let it rest longer in between. So. Let's let's break it down to the physics, the tobacco. Um, the advantage of the pipe over the cigar is you can experience a wider variety of flavors in the pipe than you can with the cigars in a shorter amount of time. Not only that, but you can blend yourself. You know, you can get pre-blended, you know, tobacco offerings from any cigar shop, but you can also get unblended, this is just straight whatever it is. And if you start to develop your palate on you go, oh, well, I'm going to take a little bit of this, I'm going to mix it with a little bit of that, and you can start blending your own for your palate. So that's kind of cool and something that we don't have the opportunity to do. Yep, that's, that's a nice feature of pipes. Also, portability. You've got a lot more portability with pipes. And the reason I say that is because you know, it for for the camping trip, four days. I took 20, 22 cigars this time because I knew I was going to be doing some sharing. So I took 22 cigars a week. That required my travel humidor, plus the one I have now is one of the 15 counts. So that means I also had to carry the bag and my kit. Like I had to, it, it took up some real estate. And you've got to make sure that it's protected from jostling and and that sort of thing and and humidification if you're going to be gone a certain period of time with pipe tobacco you can throw the pipe in a backpack not advisable but you can yeah especially if you got a cheap one if you just got yeah. you know a meerschaum or a, a kentucky meerschaum yeah, a kentucky corn cob meerschaum. um or you know and then the tobacco itself you can just throw it in a plastic bag it doesn't matter if it gets crushed or mangled or whatever so it definitely now you've got a, you've got if you're going to carry multiple pipes, multiple blends of tobacco, your tools, your lighter, whatever you know, it probably takes about the same amount of room. Um, but I, I feel like the the, the the there's less that can go wrong in transit. Yeah the the best way that I can think of to compare it is like going out and having tapas versus going and having a steak dinner. You know, you go and you have, and of course it's big, more more European than American, right. to go and have a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit here, you know, and just have 
small servings of very very um, right. complex dishes. Mm. And then, as opposed to going and just sitting down and saying, hey, I want that prime I want to be full. Right. Yeah. I want that prime rib and that baked tater that y'all have put together, and I want to enjoy it. Yeah, I think the other side of that, too, or the other part of it, is cost. You know, yes, you're going to spend 100 bucks on a pipe, on a good pipe. So that up front is a fairly... But once you've got your pipes, you're, you know, a couple of dollars an ounce. And, a, and an ounce of tobacco will last you, what, probably seven, eight bowls. So the, the cost, the continued cost is much lower with a pipe. Yeah, over the span of time, assuming you don't have to buy five pipes, mm. <laughs> over the span of time. And if you, but now if you've got five pipes, you're, you're probably still coming out ahead just over a longer span of time. Well, yeah, I mean, between you and I, we probably spend about 100 bucks a week on cigars. That's being very, very conservative. So if you think about you, had, you buy one pipe a, a day for a week, and you're in it for exactly what we were in it for cigars. And everything past that is just money in the bank. Yeah, there, there are advantages to that. Um, now, the disadvantages, one, pipe tobacco does have chemicals. It's not 100% tobacco. Yes. However, uh, depending on where you get your pipe tobacco. So if you get your pipe tobacco from Walgreens where it's, you know, made by the same companies that are making, you know, Philip Morris and, and those guys are making for the, Yes, that has some some chemicals that you really don't want. When you get your pipe tobacco from a reputable shop, a tobacconist or a cigar shop that also carries it, the chemicals that are added, most of the time it's like molasses. Right. And they're food grade. They're not additives so much as they are things that help retain the moisture because pipe tobacco is a lot more moist than cigars. So while it's not 100% tobacco, if you're getting it from a reputable dealer, you're not getting additives the way you think about it when you think about uh, cigarettes, for example. And I will say, as far as the smoking experience, the pipes are more aromatic than the cigars. Yes. Whenever someone lights up a uh, pipe in here, you know it. Right. And if you're, if you're the kind of guy that doesn't want everybody coming by and saying, oh, that smells good, that's a bad thing. And if you're the kind of guy that wants everybody to say, oh, that smells good, then that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. just depends on who you are as a person. Right. Um, of course, when I'm done with a cigar, I lay it in the ashtray and I'm done. Right. When I'm done with a pipe, you got to get out the little stem cleaner. you got to clean it up. you got to do all of the tapping and the taping and all that stuff. <laughs> like, like so many things in life. I don't like the idea of having to do a lot of cleanup after I'm done. Because it takes away from the enjoyment of the experience I just had. Right. It'll, it'll kind of eat at you a little. Yeah. And there, there is that part. You know, you go, you go order that big prime rib, rib ribeye and, and they make you go and wash the dishes. Right. Absolutely. Or I grill that rib. That pri- or I, I, heaven forbid, fix my own prime rib. Mm-hmm. Where I've got you know a couple of hours invested in the yeah. in the smoking of it and and prime rib for everybody out there, the difference in good prime rib and basically stew meat is about two degrees. It's, it's high margin for error, which is part of why you pay so much for it in a restaurant because there's a high margin of error. And I'll I'll throw this. I don't think we need this particular 
Um, disclaimer on this show, I feel like most of the people that listen to us are, are smart enough they know this. Even if you get prime rib cooked to well done, which I used to work in a restaurant that we did that, it's still going to be pink because of the way it's made. Like Absolutely. It's, I can't tell you the number of times I would have a table come in, they'd order a prime rib, and they'd order it well done. I'd say, it'll be cooked to temperature that is well done, but it will still be pink because of the slow cooking method. Do you understand that? Yes. Okay. I bring it out. This is undercooked. No, it's not. <laughs> so you know what we did? We gave it to Chef Mickey. That's what we called the microwave. Just <laughs> change the color. All it does is change it to brown. Yep, absolutely. And if you bring my prime rib out and it's brown, you're taking it back. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm, I'm full of helpful hints today. When you order either ribs or prime rib, ask for the center cut. It don't cost you any more money, and it's the best cut. Don't yeah. get the end cut. Because me, my wife and I are early eaters. Right. We're always the first ones, usually at a restaurant. So you know they have those special... Right, and so I know when I go there, if I order the prime rib, there's a good chance I'm getting the first slice off of that prime rib roast that day, and if I'm not real careful, I'm going to get the end. Yeah. So I always request, please give me center cut. And a good waiter. Yeah. Um, absolutely, no it's, problem. It's absolutely the opposite with me for barbecue, though. I want I want the end cut. Especially on brisket, I want the point. I want the lean burn-ins. Oh, man, that's the best part of a brisket. Yeah, it just depends on if you like char or not, how, yeah. you, how, how well you deal with char. But like ribs, where it's terminating into those little ribs and the, the Yeah, and it's ends. all just gristle. and Yeah, yeah, those, those skip. But just, just take a few extra minutes. It don't have, cost you any more to ask the waiter, please give me the center cut. Yeah. And if your waiter knows you, you know, if you go to the same place relatively often... And he knows that his tip's probably going to be improved by bringing you a center cut. He'll probably, do it. Probably yeah. going to take care of you a little more on that. So the the final judgment, as most things, it's what you like. But yeah. I'm always going to be a cigar guy. And, folks, this is the don't be that guy segment of the show. Please don't be the guy that smokes a cigar down to about an inch and then whips out a pipe and drops the cigar. In I don't the have any problem with that. Oh, I hate that guy. I don't have any problem with that Cause, cause because it just, it's all about what you like. But it stinks. I mean, it's just such a smell because the cigar is already burning a lot hotter than what the pipe is designed to handle. And the smell that that permeates out in the shop is just horrendous. I, I've never noticed that personally, but I'll take your word for it. So also from Cigar Life Guy, while we're here talking about him, mixing business and pleasure, cigars and work. Now, this is your wheelhouse. This is my wheelhouse. I So I've been working remote since 2018. So long before work from home and remote work became kind of the norm. Um, and I would say I've probably done a third of that work from a cigar shop. Or at the very least, while smoking a cigar, even if not in the shop. So we have, you know, a, every cigar shop I've ever been to, the day crowd is guys come in, they put out their laptop, they put on their headphones, and they sit there and they do their work, and they mm-hmm. have a cigar while they're doing it. Now, I can't do that because my work requires both hands. Right. 
I have to have one hand on the mouse, one hand on the keyboard, focused in on what I'm doing. Well, I'll also, I'll often, because I do a lot of two-hand, I'm, I'm the king of the keyboard shortcut. I love a good keyboard shortcut. And for most of those, you do need two hands. So I, I don't, I certainly am a much slower smoker when I'm working at the same time, because I've got usually having to set it down to use my hand or whatever. Well, I've tried it several times. I've tried, especially on, you know, this time of year when I'll get up in the morning and it'll be beautiful outside. And I'm like, man, today would be a great day to just sit on the back porch. All I got to do is draw this plan. Yeah. And I've already got the design work done. I'm just doing the foundation and the roof and all the detail stuff that doesn't require full engagement. Yeah. I've, but it takes you twice as long. Right. It slows me down. It, it devolves. It quickly becomes too much distraction. I would much rather go to my office and spend two hours and knock it out and then come sit at the cigar shop for an hour and a half and smoke a cigar. Right. As I had to spend three and a half hours trying to smoke a cigar while I'm doing the work. Yeah, I get that. And it, it really, it too, for me, it depends on what I'm doing. Like if I'm, if I'm doing like coding-based work where, you know, there's, it, it's basically about trying to figure out what I want, that stuff that happens pretty much on one screen, I'm, I don't have a problem. But when I'm doing like daily operational stuff where I need that, because I have four screens at my, in my home office and I use every single one of them and they all have, they have a purpose. You know, this is what I'm working on. This is my reference doc. These are my dashboards that I need to keep an eye on, you know, that sort of thing. So if I'm getting too intensive, there are times when it is better to work from home. But for most of what I do, I can do it from one or two screens. And I have a portable screen that I carry with me, too, if I need it. Yeah, and the multi-screen display is becoming more and more prevalent. You know, used to whatever office you walked into, unless you walked into a stockbroker's office, there was only one screen. Now, most offices you walk into, it's going to be two or more. Yeah. Most guys are... And, and it works out perfect for me because I have... The plan I'm working on, I have the notes for the people and the things that I'm drawing off of and trying to put together, and I have the email open over here or something, and it, it works out really well for me to do it that way. So here's the etiquette question of the week. Um, two-parter. One, is it okay to take a Zoom meeting from the cigar shop? And two... Is it okay to smoke a cigar while you're on a Zoom meeting? So, follow-up question, because it changes the answer. Are you talking about is it okay from a work standpoint or from a cigar shop etiquette standpoint? Well, we'll have to explore both, because I believe both questions have an individual answer. They do. Um, so, is it is it fine to, to join a Zoom meeting from the cigar shop? Yes. Yeah, it's absolutely fine. Um... I don't think it's okay, and I'm, we're assuming in this case that cameras are on, right? So I don't think it's okay to smoke a cigar while you're on the meeting, um, unless it's like a one-on-one -on -one with a coworker that you guys are on about the same level, and they kind of know that this is part of, you know, because when I worked at the old company, if it was just me and one of two or three people that I kind of trusted to know that, then I would smoke a cigar on the, but most of the time I didn't. Well, I'm going to ask this question knowing the answer, but I'm, I'm digging deeper here. If you were the boss and you had a Zoom meeting with an employee, a good, productive employee who's consistently producing, and y'all pop on a Zoom meeting together, 
and he's got a cigar in his mouth and he's puffing on his cigar while you're meeting with him, would that bother you? It wouldn't, but that's because I understand cigars. Because if you don't understand cigars, then it's it's the same as somebody smoking cigarettes to you on the screen. You don't understand that it, it just become it feels it feels disrespectful, even though it's not. I feel like more employers would allow you would be more tolerant of you smoking a cigarette while you were on the Zoom meeting than smoking a cigar. You know. I, it's interesting. I wonder if that's true. Because I also know there's, you know, there are a lot of companies that are moving towards tobacco-free workplaces because it saves them money on their insurance. And so you have to think about the politics of that as well. Like if you, if you mark that you're a non-smoker on all of your HR forms and then you're on Zoom meetings with your boss smoking cigars, that can create some issues. Um, which could be conce- could be considered ethical violations and result in you losing your job. I hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah. So um, now from a cigar shop etiquette standpoint, though, I think it's really rude to be on the phone in the cigar shop. Now, there are times when it can't be avoided. You know, just this past Friday, I was here, and I was sitting in that in that chair there between the two ashtrays, and I was on the phone most of the time I was here. I hadn't intended on that being the case, but they didn't have the umbrellas out for the because it was kind of weird weather day. So it wasn't really there wasn't anywhere for me to sit outside. Normally that's what I do. If I'm going to be on meetings, I either step outside, or if I need my computer and it's like an interactive meeting, I I need a place to be able to on, be on my computer. So that's why I stayed in here. But I do think it's rude. Well, this is also you have to know yourself. If you're the per- kind of person that can't say anything without sounding like a French prostitute yelling across a room, then you probably shouldn't be on the phone in the cigar shop. Well, and I do have that problem. You know, there are two types of deaf people. There are people who are whisperers and shouters. Because you can't self-regulate. And so and I think it happened after the podcast last night I, or last week, and I said something. You were like, you are shouting. I'm a shouter. You know, because I can't, I can't self-regulate my volume. So I do, ha- I try to be really cognizant when I'm on a phone call, especially of like making sure I'm speaking at a normal tone. But it's hard for me to do. Yeah, I couldn't do it because when I'm in a Zoom meeting, I'm usually drawing a plan in front of a customer, and I must speak with a certain gravitas, a certain authority that I'm instilling confidence that when I tell them pocket doors are stupid, they believe me. But that comes from tone more than it does volume. Or you just don't want people to hear your work chain. You want to keep those separate. Yeah, I kind of I like to keep it quiet. Keep See, it. personal tray and work tray are not terribly different. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally different in the two aspects because in one, I'm a professional service and I must... You know, people are trusting me with the biggest investment of their life. Right. I must project that I'm worthy of that trust, regardless of whether I am or not. <laughs> yeah, but I guess I guess more to the point is that I feel like, with the exception of the, the straight F-bomb and stuff like that, I tend to conduct myself fairly professionally, even in my personal life. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not a big cusser in any yeah. event. It, it's not something really... That's really the biggest difference for me. Yeah, and if you're if you're a person that conducts themselves with a litany of swear words, then yes, don't talk on the phone. And yeah. 
And I always, if I'm sitting in the cigar shop, another etiquette tip. If I'm sitting in the cigar shop and my phone rings and it's my father or my mother and I know I have to take it. Excuse me, everyone. I pick up my phone, I walk outside, and I answer it. Or if the weather's not, then to a dark corner of the shop where you're not interested. Right. You know, I can't tell you how many phone calls I've taken from Crown in that back closet. You know, because, again, phone rings, excuse me, and you walk. So, you know, it's, yeah, I do think etiquette dictates that if the phone rings, you step outside to take the call. Yeah, and there's nothing worse than a bunch of guys sitting around talking and having a conversation, and one guy says, oh, it's my kid. And picks up their phone and starts just talking Because then you loudly. feel like a jerk for continuing to talk around him while he's trying to hear someone on the phone. And you feel like a jerk for try, for listening in on their conversation. Right. So there's a, it's a note. You're putting all the people around you in an uncomfortable position. Just pick up your phone, say excuse me, and walk somewhere where everybody don't have to hear your conversation. Yeah. As it goes back to the etiquette from, from a work standpoint, though, I will say this. And now, and you know this about me, when, especially when it comes to contracts and things like that. Words are important. Now, my current contract—well, it's not a contract—but my, you know, my employment agreement is that I'm a remote worker. Notice they didn't say work from home. Right. I am not obligated to give you my work hours inside my domicile. Right. I'm a remote employee, which just means I'm working from somewhere, not the office. So. If it ever comes up, because it did at my previous job, the longer I stayed in the job, the more comfortable I got turning my camera on when I wasn't at home. But generally, that's what I do. If I'm not at home, I just don't turn my camera on. And because I'm, I'm in the kind of means where I can get away with that. You being one-on-one with a client, it's harder to do. But, you know, and it's, where are you? Oh, I'm, I'm at a coffee shop. I'm at a cigar shop. I'm wherever, you know. And, but it's because my, my employment agreement says that I'm a remote worker. That I'm under no obligation. But... There are people out there who are under work-from-home conditions, and I would be careful just from, again, because they could have certain... Now, most people, even if you're remote, the expectation from your boss most of the time is going to be that you're working from the house. But, you know, there is there is a difference in the language. I would, I would... Well, and it also depends on the work you do. You know, Glenda handles a lot of sensitive information and HIPAA laws come into play and things like that. I, I was actually just about to touch on that because I, I still work in the insurance industry. And know your company's security and privacy restrictions before you, before you do it. So for, for mine, for example, because people at my level and higher tend to do a lot of traveling. And so it's assumed that while you're waiting for your plane to take off in the airport, you're probably going to be doing some work. And so there are specific guidelines in our handbook for how to work, you know, in a public space back against the wall. Right. You know, everything we do is through a VPN. So all of our data is encrypted on the computer, but you don't ever want someone to be able to read what you're working on over your shoulder. So again, that's, I, I know my company's restrictions and regulations and rules, and I abide by them. And, and but So you do have to take some of that into consideration. So moving forward, I had a meme that hit a little close to home this week. Have you ever had a meme that hits you that you know, you're laughing at and it kind of hits a little close to home? Yeah. And it was a meme, and it said men over 30 are obsessed with one of these things, and it had guns and barbecue and bourbon and all of that stuff on there. So, the question is, what are you obsessed with? 
everyone should take a moment and think, what what is kind of my obsession? Because most most men have one, have something that we really enjoy. You know, um, if if someone were talking about you to someone who'd never met you, how would they describe you? Oh, he's you know he's a cigar smoker. Oh, he plays. He he's a big golfer. Right. You know, he's a, he's a big fan of the Tennessee Titans. So whatever it is. Yeah, and so it's important as part of this organism that is a cigar shop to understand what you're obsessed with and understand where the line is, where you you've passed interesting the people around you into boring them. You know, I've got I've got a brother-in-law. I guarantee you. We can't talk for more than 20 minutes without it coming back to cycling. Right. I mean, he's totally, completely... Obsessed. Yes. It's, it's, it's all he thinks about. It dominates his day-to-day thoughts. And I have guys in here that are very gun-oriented. That When the gun conversation starts, you know it's going to end with them just muttering numbers back and forth of calibers and grains. Yeah. And, thing, and things like that. So, you know, I... I get made fun of and picked on a lot here, and if I cared, it would matter, but I don't, about the Bigfoot thing. People, oh, they always try to come back to the Bigfoot thing or something like that, and I don't care. Right. But (laughs) no, I've I've been in those conversations where they say, don't get Shane started. (laughs) Because they know that, you know, especially if Bigfoot or anything sort of tangentially related comes up. Yeah, you know, people know if I'm if if we're talking, there's probably going to be a professional wrestling story that applies to something we're talking to, mm-hmm. and all, or you know, or a Bigfoot anecdote if we're talking about something like that, and things like that. And I think we all, as men, owe it to ourselves, kind of evaluate what you're obsessed with, what hobby are you obsessed with, and at what point, what where is the break line? For me, the break line with Bigfoot is very narrow and i'll usually unless somebody specifically sits down with me and says hey let's light a cigar and talk about bigfoot yeah unless they they sit down and they say okay i want to know what you know let's sit down let's talk about bigfoot then we're going to have an in-depth conversation that's not entirely true though because you listen to a lot of bigfoot podcasts and so i have heard conversations that relate back to something. And so even though you're not specifically talking about the various theories on Bigfoot, it's somewhat Bigfoot related because that's where the source of what you're talking about, the anecdote comes from, et cetera. Yeah, most people aren't as observant as you are in those well, situations. That's, that's <laughs> probably true. That's true of a lot of things, really. Um, and the, bur- the bourbon guys. I'm convinced that guys like buying bourbon more than they like drinking bourbon. Or talking about it, really. Yeah, I mean, how much of your life are you going to invest into trying to find a Weller's Extra Reserve double charcoal filter, you know, mermaid urine? I'm, I'm not sure how much time you should invest in that. Part of me wonders if you could... Like, you and I open a distillery tomorrow, and we only make four bottles a year. (laughs) But we just develop enough of a backstory around it that people think we've been around forever, and they're just now hearing about this super exclusive. That tastes like dog piss, because neither one of us are going to taste it to know, because we don't really drink it. And... But we just get the story, and then we charge $600 a bottle for it. 
I bet we could make a killing. Probably could. Just, you just, just whisper ha- it in enough people's ears of like, have you heard about this one? Cre- create enough buzz. You know, we went through the Japanese whiskey fakes yeah. in this country where everybody was, oh, this is, you know, Omikalavra. Have you ever had any of that? No. Nah. Because it was coming up when back when I still drank. It's awful. It's awful. Now, maybe I just had a bad one, but it's... I'd rather have Knob Creek over that. Yeah, it's... And, you know, I'm I'm victim of it. I bought a bottle. I bought an 80-something dollar bottle of Jefferson's Ocean because it's aged on, you know, um, ships in the ocean right. and as it's stirred and all that. And I bought a bottle of that, but I bought a bottle of that because... I'm going to be spending some time with my father over Memorial Day week doing some fishing. And when I'm spending that time, I'd like to have a nice bourbon with a story to set and tell him. To me, yeah. the, the story was worth far more than the bourbon was right. in that situation. But I, I do think we have to be careful as men. That's one of the things we tend to do is we tend to get a lot more, you know, um, Ladies tend to get more into relationship stuff. You know, oh, did you hear him talk about his wife and he was doing this and da, 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 da. you know, when we leave here today, Glenda will have a full update for me of the lives of all the guys that she set up there and talked to while we've done the podcast. Yeah. But men, we tend to lock on to something and really just kind of worry at it. Now, the, the hunting, fishing guys, I kind of give them a pass. <laughs> but, but well, of course you do. <laughs> it's too much like looking in a mirror for you. And the other thing I don't get, I don't get sports team franchises. If you've been, a, if you have been a fan since you were twelve, you are now rooting for laundry. See, I just, I don't get that. Now, I don't have. Now, the Braves are kind of the only franchise that I support. Uh, talking professional sports, because if it's it's collegiate sports, I think you can understand that. If that's where you went to school or something like that, it's it's more about the institution than it is about the team. But with professional sports, like, yes, people come and go, but typically what happens is, you know, a rookie will come up and you'll become a fan of his independently of the team. And then, you know, as he grows into his career and you stay with him and then about the time he's getting ready to retire, well, another rookie from a couple of years ago has become. So, like, you, you kind of keep finding your favorite player among the team as he comes up. So you're saying inside the envelope of the team, the rookie's coming up for that team. Yeah. You're not saying a rookie from, you know, right. Wada Wada. I'm saying like, you know, and I mean, to a certain extent, I, I get your point because uh, I think it was Jason Hayward was uh, played for the Braves for a number of years. He was a great player. And he went to the Cubs. And so two years ago when we were in Chicago, we went and saw a game at Wrigley. Now, it was the Cubs versus the Pirates or something. Two teams I don't care anything about. But Hayward's on the Cubs. So I at least I at least got to see Hayward play because I never got to see him play as a Brave. So that was cool. Well, and it is interesting because it is so regional. I had a conversation in here less earlier this year during college football season with a guy and he said, okay, you know, he just moved here from New York. He said, I don't get it. I don't understand why so many people here are Tennessee Volunteer fans that have never set foot on the campus. Yeah. You know, he said, if you graduated from the campus, I can understand it, but if you've never set foot on the campus and you profess your undying devotion to the Big Orange, I don't get it. And I said, well, you're, the, the phenomenon you're speaking of is called sidewalk alumni. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard that term. 
the, the actually a famous Tennessee coach. I think it was Fulmer, actually, but I could, I'd have to ask David to know for sure. Coined that phrase that yes, here in Tennessee we have sidewalk alumni. And um, Shannon, who was on the previous show with us, he was down here one day and he said, "Oh, what do you think Tennessee's chances are this year?" And everybody started talking about it. And he said, "Oh, I meant the Titans." I said, "When you're in Tennessee, and you, you say, say Titans if you mean Titans, right? When you say Tennessee football, you're talking about the balls. Yeah. When you're in Tennessee, if you say Tennessee football, it's Volunteers. It's the Big Orange. It's not." The Titans. You have to say Titans specifically because it's two totally different reactions. Now, I know this isn't really pertinent to the discussion, but a big part of that, uh, I think, comes from the fact that we didn't have a professional sports team, a professional football team here until 1999, 98. So, you know, for my whole childhood, I didn't have a professional football team to root for. So you get, you know, multiply that for how many million people live in the state of Tennessee, and the Vols just become that that replacement. Well, not only did we not have a professional football team, we didn't have a professional ball team. Right. We didn't have hockey yet at that point. We had, I think we had the AFL back when that was a thing, the Nashville Cats. And we had minor league baseball. You know, we didn't have the Grizzlies if you're into basketball. Like, yeah, so I think that's a big part of it, too. Yeah, I think it's kind of re- regional. The sidewalk alumni phenomenon is re- is really a regional thing. But it's funny as you as more people move into Tennessee, kind of having to explain to them, no, I never went to the University of Tennessee. No, I'm not a, bo- a booster unless you count the amount of shirts my wife buys at yard sales. Right. <laughs> I'm not a booster, but... I do like the Vols. Yeah, well, and I think, too, like, if you look at, um, you look at Alabama as a good example. You've got two powerhouse schools. You've got Auburn and Alabama, both with legacies. You know, you've got a lot of states around here where there are, you're either a this fan or a that fan. You know, you're either a North Carolina fan or a Duke fan. You know, you're either a Kentucky fan or a Louisville fan. Like, all of those. Tennessee doesn't have that even you know you had memphis university of memphis basketball but if you wanted a football school ut was it oh yeah vanderbilt hadn't had a winning record since the earth started cooling so yeah so i think that led to it too whereas some of these other areas were like oh you you know you're a buckeyes fan or you're an ohio fan or you're whatever like it's just no if if you want to be a fan of a team it's the vols that's all there is well let's go back and talk about cigars for a minute what do you think of the papa's fritas Mine's drawing a little tight, which is unusual for me with that cigar. That is, mine drew well. Mine smoked well. It's a good short smoke. Did you notice a little bit of ammonia on yours? No. I've, I think mine has a little bit of youth to it. You may have grabbed a young one. I may have. And that, that box that that one came out of had been sitting sealed in the humidor. So I don't think it had truly got a chance to completely act To breathe. And, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, that could be it. Either that... Or maybe there was some errant uh, dark fire in this one a little bit. It yes, almost American had that Kentucky little fire. bit. Of, yeah. Could be. They could have had something like that in there because whenever you're dealing with a medium filler cigar, that's kind of part of what, what right. you're going to deal with at some point. And that's kind of what I like about the Papas Fritas is that you never really get the same cigar twice. No matter yeah. how hard they try to consolidate the blend and homogenize it, there's some variability there. I, you know, if I'm just judging the cigar, if I'm just judging the Papa's Fritas based on the cigar, it's a five and a half. Yeah. If I'm just judging it now, I could probably get it up to a six when I speak to the quality and the utilitarian nature of the cigar. And the value per dollar. 
the value of the cigar. There's probably you could probably convince me to make it a six if, without a whole lot of effort. Yeah, probably couldn't get it to a six and a half. And definitely couldn't get it to a seven. But I don't. That cigar's not made to be a seven. No, I I do think I, I I'm a little closer. Let's let's split the difference. Say five and three quarter. That'll work. Yeah. Well, how do they get a hold of us, Trey? You can reach us at facebook.com slash the cigarcast. We're at Instagram and Twitter at the cigarcast and email info at the cigarcast.com. Well, please stop for a moment and give us a good rate and review on iTunes or whatever service you happen to be listening on. Really makes a big difference as far as the podcast goes. And until next week, everybody have a great cigar and think well of us. Mm-hmm.